All right, good morning, everybody. It's July the 8th, 2012, and I'm excited to bring a message titled Polished Idols. Polished Idols. So, uh, as I always like to do, let's open in a word of prayer and uh, let's see what God has for us today. All right? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you, Father, that, that we could commune together, Lord, and worship and fellowship. Lord, we're here so that you could be glorified through our lives. Lord, that our lives could be changed today, fashioned to look more like you, that we will go out into this world, Lord, and bring the revival that is needed. Father, that we would take it into the highways, into the hedges, the streets, the places where nobody else will go, that we would take it there, Father, even in our own city and abroad. Father, change our hearts today. We ask and rely only on the Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done, Father. For the words of mere man can cannot accomplish anything except the Spirit of God is flowing through. And Father, I ask that you would shut down anything that Zeke might say in his flesh. And only that which should be revealed from heaven will come forth, Father. We rely on you. Change our hearts forever in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, I'm going to start off with, uh, with uh, a couple little quotes just to, to break the ice, get us flowing in the right direction. Okay? I'm getting used to this voice saying, all right? Um, uh, God often allows the ungodly to amass great wealth to their destruction. But if you are one whom God is dealing, and if you put the pursuit of riches before service to Christ, God may take away those riches until you turn to him. Some years ago, Donald Gray Barhouse was counseling a young woman on the sidewalk in front of the 10th Presbyterian Church. Following an evening of service, um, she said she was a Christian, that she wanted to follow Christ, but she wanted to be famous too. Now, that's suiting, isn't it? Okay? Um, she wanted to pursue a stage career in New York. Here's what she says. After I made it in the theater, I'll follow Christ completely. Okay? Barnhouse took a key out of his pocket he scratched a mark on a postal box standing on the corner. And here's what he says to her. That is what God will let you do. God will let you scratch the surface of success. He will let you get close enough to the top to know what it is. But he'll never let you have it. Because he'll never let one of his children have anything rather than himself. Amen. I want that word over me. I, I, I don't want fame. I don't want anything. And if, I, if I'm ever tempted to pursue something, if God would only allow me to scratch the surface, maybe not even that. I don't want anything to replace the position that he demands in my life. Nothing. Amen. It's not worth it. God demands soul reign in our life, and anything that will seek to diminish that must be removed. I'm going to read you a, a, a quote from uh, D.L. Moody. Okay? Just, to, just so you see that this is... Uh, um, the idol worship, idolatry, things like that, it's things that people groups have been battling for generations since the Garden of Eden to in D.L. Moody's time, in our time, it's a fight. We have to fight this fight. We have to, uh, we have to win this battle so that we can be instruments for revival. Listen to this. Uh, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America's full of them. Whatever you make most of is your God. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Many a man's heart is like some capper's huts, some full of so full of idols that there is hardly room to turn around. 
rich and poor, learned and unlearned, un learned and unlearned, all classes of men and women are guilty of this sin. A man may make a god of himself, of a child, of a mother, of some precious gift that God has bestowed upon him. He may forget the giver and let his heart go out in adoration towards the gift. Many make a god of pleasure. That is what their hearts are set on. If some old Greek or Roman came alive again and saw a man in a drunken debauch, would he believe that the worship of Bacchus had died out? If he saw our large city streets filled with harlots, would he believe that the worship of Venus had ceased? Others take fashion as their god. They give their time and thought to dress. They fear what others will think of them. Do not let us flatter ourselves that all idolaters are in heathen countries. With many, it is the god of money. We haven't got through worshiping the we haven't got through worshiping the golden calf yet. If a man will sell his principles for gold, isn't he making it a god? If he trusts in his wealth to keep him from want and supply his needs, are not riches his god? Many a man says, "Give me money, and I'll give you heaven." What care have I for all the glories and treasures in heaven? Give me treasures here. I don't care for heaven. I want to be a successful businessman. How true are the words of Job? And I'll finish this quote with this. If I have made gold my hope, or I have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great, and because my hand had begotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart has been secretly enticed, or my mouth has kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above all. The greatest threat, guys, the greatest, single greatest threat to our advancement towards holiness. This, this flows right along with what our brother brought last week in, in that pursuit of holiness. The greatest threat toward our advancement towards holiness and submission is the heart-wrenching practice of idolatry. Okay? We're going to deal with that today. We're going to talk about it. Whatever the Lord wants to do with it. If he just wants to highlight it so he can take care of some business later. If he wants to take care of business today, whatever. I'm just going to uh, release what he showed me. We have to, we have to diminish, not diminish. We have to destroy the idols in our life. Amen. There's people in here that will change this world for Jesus. Amen. But the idols got to go. Mm -hmm. There's relationships that need to be healed. The idols got to go. There's things that need to be taken care of, but the idols have got to go. We can't advance with idols in our pockets. We can't because it restricts intimacy with God. It stifles our passion. It clogs our ears. It blinds our eyes. It confuses our mind. It hinders our ability to trust Jesus. I'm speaking of idols. It exalts man above God. It is a devastating sin that can not only seriously diminish our spiritual condition, but it puts many on a fast track to the pits of hell. That's idolatry. And we're going to find out a little bit more about it today. To deal properly with idolatry, we've got to gain an understanding of it. Where do we go first when we're looking for an understanding of a word? You should go to the word. But a lot of times, this man is mentioned in our preaching, and you know, he just got a lot of insight. Mr. Webster. Hey, what's Mr. Webster say about idolatry? Perhaps we'll start with that. Um, the worship of a physical object as a god. Okay? Fair enough. Consider this. An attachment or devotion to something. Y'all amen say that's fair? Yes. Okay. 
All right, second, I want to read a few quotes of what some men of God have said about it, just to get some insight. Um, you know, A.W. Tozer, um, he says this, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. So some of these old school quotes you really got to think about because they are meaty. They're meaty with just a few simple words in a sentence. They're so meaty. Meaty as in hearty. Hearty. I don't know if y'all understand meaty, but it's got good meat to it. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. Next one, he says this. He said, an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Um, John MacArthur, idolatry is having any false god, any object, idea, philosophy, habit, occupation, sport, whatever that has one's primary concern and loyalty, or that to any degree decreases one's trust in and loyalty to the Lord. Mm. Idolatry. So you can see it can take on many forms. It's not just some big temple. Okay? It's, it's our thoughts. It's objects. It's everywhere, guys. It's everywhere. And I don't know if anybody in here is guilty of idolatry or, or if anybody in here has to fight daily to keep idols out of their life. But just so you know, the man speaking to you has to fight it every day. Amen. Okay? I'm not saying I'm an idolater, but I'm saying an idol will sneak in and I will need to kill it every day. Amen. So with that, I'll read you the quote I came up with. Um, anything that assumes his rightful position in your life at any given time is an idol. Anything left in that position without being dealt with renders you and me guilty of idolatry, hence breaking a direct command of God. So I know we all deal with idols, but are there idolaters in the house? Are there any of us who says, you know what? That idol's risen up, trying to take its place. I haven't struck it down. I'm an idolater. I don't know. That might come out today. God wants you to know that if you will deal with it, He will heal it. Right. He Amen. will heal you. Man, if you take them idols and bust them up, then it can be, you can make you a t-shirt that says July 8, 2012. No, I'm sorry. That says this. Smash an idol since July 8, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, a scholastic definition, mighty men of God definition. Allow me to read a few scripture definitions. Let's go to Isaiah. We'll hang out in the 40s. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, start with me. <laughs> Isaiah 40, 19. Start at verse 18. I'm sorry, I'm going to hit these real quick because we got about 50 some scriptures to look at today. Come on. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Isaiah 49, 18. To whom then will you liken to God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it. A craftsman cast this thing. In other words, a man imperfect and a woman imperfect just like you and me. As for the idol, a craftsman cast it. A goldsmith plates it with gold. A silversmith fashions 
chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not. Somebody finish that? 44. 10. Go to 9, I'm sorry. 44, 9. Now here, you guys, the scripture's defining a little bit of what idolatry is to us. And I hope you catch on to the fact that an idol is nothing. The one who makes it the most devastating thing to hit the body of Christ is us. 44. Those who fashion a graven image are, are all of them futile. And their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are what? Mere men. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. Let's transition 45-20. 45-20. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Last, Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah 10 is a satire on idolatry. Listen to just some of it. I won't read it all, but it's really, really good. Uh, Jeremiah 10. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the nations and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the custom of the peoples are delusions because it is wood cut from a forest. You hear that? It's wood cut from a forest. It has no power. You and I give it power. The work of the hands of a craftsman with a, with, a, with a cutting tool decorates it with silver and gold, polishes it up, makes it pretty. It's nothing more than a dead, useless, something cut from a forest. It's nothing. You give the idols power. You and I give them power when we put them in the place that supremely belongs to God. It belongs to Him and Him alone. And we put it there. We often make the heart-wrenching mistake of allowing reasoning such as this statement to enter our minds. And uh, maybe nobody has these thoughts. Maybe this is just from, you know, working with youth or something like that. I don't know, but maybe, maybe adults struggle with this. At least I know one that does. If I'm not worshiping something, then how can it be my God? There's an easy rebuttal to that. Do you know what worship is? Do we have to bow down and sing to and praise the thing that is in God's place? Or as Mike and I were talking earlier, is it subtle? Is it pretty? Is it subtle and pretty and sneaky, trying to sneak in and kill you? And you have no idea you're worshiping it, but we are. That's right. 
because it's where God should be. It's where God should be in our life. This should rattle our cages today. Um, you'll be lucky to just get to hear it today and go chew on it. I've known for weeks that this would be the word I bring and fighting like a mad dog every day and stuff that rises up. Idol, you better cast it down. You want to stand up there and preach this as an idolater? Are you serious? Idol, cast it down. Cast it down because they rise up because it is a famous tactic of the enemy to distract us from intimacy with God. Amen. And it works. Idols restrict and diminish our ability to be intimately in communion with God. Does anybody have trouble in here seeing how that could fit? Need a visual? A visual would be nice, wouldn't it? Any married couples in here wouldn't mind giving a peck on the lips on Jacob? You and Raquel wouldn't mind that? No, up here. <laughs> I need to assemble something real quick just for fun. Anybody got a wallet I can have? Somebody bring it to me. Thank you. Thank you. Car keys? Anybody got car keys? Thank you. Thank you. I'll take all three of them. Bring them here. Thank you. Anybody got a um, blueberry, blackberry, foot clone? Anything? <laughs> Am I going to checkbook? Checkbook. Debit card. Hold on, JJ. I'll take care of that. We'll let it go at that. Okay. Idolatry. I'm going to do something. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm just going to do it like this. Ready? Raise your hand if you think these are idols. They are. I didn't ask you to change my question. Just kicking on y'all. <laughs> Raise your hand if you think these are idols. This is smart church, so y'all's last response was right. That's why I shut you down. Think this is an idol? Okay. I don't. I don't. I think it's a dead, meaningless bunch of metal. Most of it made by the hands of man. I don't think it's nothing. I don't think it's an idol. I really don't. It's not an idol. Anybody agree or disagree with the preacher? You can disagree with the preacher. Amen. She agrees. Yeah. Agree. Why? You can make it an idol, but it doesn't have to be. It's not an idol to worship. This would be a good place to start. Yeah. Turn around and face your bride. Okay. If you don't mind, then uh, slowly give him a pop on the lips. Hold up. Now keep, yeah. keep going. No, 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 no. Come straight in. All right, talk to me, guys, about it. Stay there, Jacob. <laughs> talk to me now. Intimacy? Stay right there and back up. Probably the place we should have started. Maybe. Give your bride a kiss on the lips. <laughs> Guys, we're going to have fun with this for a few minutes. Bro. We've got to bring it home. Stay there. Give her a kiss. 
That's super fun. Thank you guys for being those volunteers. That, that's hilarious. I'll admit, I think it's super funny. Until I sit back and I analyze that she is the bride and there stands Jesus. Wanting intimacy with us in the worst kind of way. Wanting to speak to us. Wanting to commune with us. Wanting to do things through us that would change this world. And we would dare move a dead, meaningless object into a position where it becomes the most powerful and dangerous and deadly play to attack our church. It's deadly. It's deadly that, that dollar bills take the place of God and they're made by man. It's deadly that we consume oh so much time with Techno technological stuff. I'm so untechnological I can't even say the word. <laughs> but you catch me around one of them special phones and I'll find out what everybody in the world's doing. You watch me. Mm -hmm. It's addicting. But they weren't idols. They're idols though when they hold the sole place that belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. If we don't abolish them, the pretty little things that sneak up on us and they'll swallow us up. And we're wondering why. Man, we ain't, there's no miracles happening in our city. There's no, there's no, um, you know, just great revival breaking out. And certainly we got to wait on God's timing. But are there idols in our lives that are restricting us from being used to the fullest? That are restricting us from experiencing healing? That are restricting us from experiencing what God truly intended for our life? If it is, we've got to trash them. We've got to trash them fast. There's no use carrying them around, no use thinking about them, no use polishing them up. Bust them up. Get rid of them. Um, I'm going to ask four simple questions to myself, and then I'm going to answer them for you. What is idolatry? Turn to Ezekiel. While you turn now, go ahead and tell you what I think idolatry is. No, it's not what I think. It is what it is. Isaiah, I mean Ezekiel 22. <clears throat> Ezekiel 22 and 23, you can find that. And then go ahead and find Hosea and put your finger there. That way we can do some rapid fire turning to them. So if you could find Hosea 4, Ezekiel 22 and 23, Hosea 4. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. There's no, it's no need in sugarcoating it or changing what it is. It's adultery. It is plain out adultery. I was thinking as I shared this in a Bible study one time, you know, I hate to even use illustrations like this because they almost make me nauseous. Um, you know, one of the sickest, most devastating things is uh, adultery. It, it ruins families, ruins genera generations. Um, I mean, it affects generations. It doesn't necessarily ruin generations. And outside of God doing the healing, the healing doesn't get done. It's, that, it's just that sickening. I, I say, if my wife walked through that door crying and said, I cheated on you or whatever, my, honestly, my gut would just, I would pass out. It made me so, it would, 
it would wrench my heart so bad that I feel like I might die. Then why in the world can I place an idol in the place of God and possibly keep on walking about my day like nothing's wrong? How is that possible? And if that's possible, I have to really analyze my life. That shouldn't be possible. Committing spiritual adultery should make us sick. We have to become a people who hate sin. We have to hate sin. Not just not tolerate it or keep it far. I mean, hate it. Hate it to the point that if it even comes near, you're creating, you're calling all-out war. Calling all the brothers, all the sisters. Sin sneaking in. we got to kill it. You and I have to hate sin. You have to hate it. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. So just real quick, Ezekiel 22, talking about the sins of Israel. Uh, start at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, And you, son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city? Then cause her to know all her abominations. You shall say, thus says the Lord God, a city shedding blood in her midst so that her time will come. And that she makes idols contrary to her interest for what? Say it out loud. Defilement. Idolatry is, it defiles us. It's spiritual adultery. 23 um, goes into more of the, uh, the, the example that, that God uses in this. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Ahola and Aholaba. Mm-hmm. Raise your hand if you've heard of those ladies. Amen. One. But nobody will know if I goof it up. <laughs> We're not going to goof it up in Jesus' name. <laughs> 23, Ezekiel. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me again. Son of man, there are two women, the daughters of one mother... They played the harlot in Egypt. They played the harlot in their youth. Um, there their breasts were pressed and uh, there their virgin bosom was handled. Their names were Ahola, the elder, and Aholaba, the her sister. They became mine, with a capital M. They became mine, and they bore sons and daughters. And as for their names, Samaria is who? And Jerusalem is? Ahola played the harlot while she was mine. She lusted after her lovers, after the Assyrians, her neighbors. They were clothed in purple, governors and officials, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her harlotries on them, all of whom were the choicest men of Assyria. And with all whom she lusted after, with all her idols, she defiled herself. She did not forsake her harlotries from the time in Egypt, for in her youth, men um, laying with her and they, uh, they handled her uh, virgin bosom and poured out their lust on her. Therefore I gave her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. Now her sister Aholaba saw this, yet she was more corrupt um, in her lust than she could. Go down to verse 13. Uh, she defiled herself and they went the same way. Uh, go down to um, verse 15. Um, talking about uh, girding with belts on their loins, with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like officers, like the Babylonians in Chaldea, the land of her birth. When she saw them, she lusted after them. It's talking about her, them lusting after the other cities and what was in there. Uh, if you skip over to, to verse 25, God says, I set my jealousy against you that, that they may deal with you in wrath. Uh, wrath, go to verse 30. These things will be done because you have played the harlot with the nations, because you have defiled yourself with idols. Uh, go down to verse 37. For they have committed adultery, and the blood is on their hands. 
Thus they have committed adultery with their idols, even caused their sons who they bore to me to pass through fire to them. Um, verse um, 39, for when they had slaughtered their children for their idols, they entered my sanctuary on the same day. Um, go down to 49, your lewdness will be requ requited upon you, and you will bear the penalty of worshiping your idols. Thus you will know that I am the Lord your God. I think the point was made pretty clear. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. You're, we're we're lusting, after other, lusting after other lovers. Trying to put something in God's place. He's the only one worthy to hold that place. The only one near worthy to hold that place. And somehow, those little other sneaky lovers try to sneak in and take his place. If we don't fight that, we die. That's the seriousness of it. That's the seriousness of holiness. We don't fight idols. We don't survive. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. What is idolatry? Idolatry, spiritual adultery. Um, number two question I like to ask. Turn to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And this is this is the question I ask. What is its aim? What is the aim of idolatry? I want you to keep in mind the whole time we're talking about this, that we're talking about dead, meaningless, man-made material. The phone, the keys, the wallet, everything we held up there, man-made junk. Man-made junk. These idols carved out of trees, man-made stuff. Idols are dead, worthless, meaningless things. Until we take them and put them in a place where they ought not be. That's where they get their power from. You. Me. Deuteronomy 13, what is its aim? Its aim is to seduce you from the ways of the Lord. An idol's aim is to seduce you from the ways of the Lord. Uh, verse 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer or dream. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way of the Lord your God commanded you to walk. Verse 8, you shall not yield to him or listen to him. Verse 10, you shall stone him to death because he sought to do what? He sought to seduce you away from God. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God has given you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from, the, from, from among you and they've seduced the inhabitants of the other city, let us go and serve other gods. You shall investigate, search out, and inquire. Not only are they trying to seduce you guys, you have a responsibility to fight them. Search it out. How many of you are content that, that um, how many of you are content with having something in God's rightful place in your life? then we have to do something about it. 
We have to do something about it. I'm not content having something that is in God's rightful place because it is an idol. If I don't remove it, I become an idolater. And I think the scripture is very clear on what happens to idolaters. He's not going to tolerate being second place. He's a jealous God. His name is jealous. He's not going to be second place. God is pushing us deeper, guys. He's, he's asking us to go deeper. And I know based on, based on the, uh, just the way that life circumstances work, even in my own life, from my own testimony, I know that this room is saturated with people either fighting idols or guilty of idolatry. It's filled with it. God wouldn't have laid this on the hearts of the ministers to speak if it wasn't true. It's filled with idolatry and idols. We've got to smash them. Do you want to smash idols? Yes. It takes work. Its aim is to seduce you. What's its potential? Ah, my favorite. What's the potential of an idol? Just tell me a few potentials while I drink so we fill in a little gap of time. Yeah. Death? Yeah. Enticement. Well, what's the potential of an idol? What I say to keep in mind the whole time that I was doing this, huh? They're meaningless, dead pieces of junk. An idol has no breath in it. First Kings 18. First Kings 18. And Habakkuk 2. The potential of an idol. We read from the few verses in the Isaiah 40s and Jeremiah 10 that they're breathless. They're breathless. They're made from, in this case, in the case in which you're speaking, they're made from trees from a forest. They're dead. Don't give them life. Idols are dead. Please don't give them life. In chapter 18, what we got here is a nice little battle going on between um, the Ahab, Elijah. The, the gods of uh, Baal and Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. They're doing battle. Um, the prophets of Baal, of course, fail. Everybody familiar with this story? Good. The prophets of uh, Baal, they fail. And here's what Elijah says, and I love it, because we can walk about with this confidence. Okay? This should be our confidence in our God. Um, he's mocking them. Call out with a loud voice, for he is God. Either he's occupied or he's gone aside. Okay, Perhaps he's on a journey. Or maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. How about that? That's funny, guys. You can laugh. They're making fun of him. Elijah's making fun of them because they're dead. You know how we know they're dead? In verse 29. When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And listen to this guy. This is, if an idol did have breath and could wake up and talk to you, 
and say, I got one promise for you. Here's my promise. I don't have a voice. I won't answer. And I will not pay attention to you. <laughs> because I'm dead. Because I don't exist. Unless you put me there. And then I can pick you off. And destroy you. And all the while, I don't even exist. Try to wrap your minds around that. Being separated from the greatest and only source of life by a dead object. That saddens me. I'll go to Habakkuk. I mean, what I say? Yep, Habakkuk 2. Uh, Habakkuk 2.18, it says, um, What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork. When he fashions speechless idols, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake. To a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is what? There's no breath inside of it at all. It's dead. It's dead as a doornail. It's only there and it's only accomplishing its goal because we put it there. It's dead. There's no breath inside of it at all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the earth be silent before Him. What is its potential? Nothing. You say, you read a lot of Old Testament stuff that has to do with carved images and stuff. Man, idolatry is as real today as it's been back then. It is real, but it's dead. Paul tried to instruct the Corinthian church on that. You want to hear about it? Go to Corinthians 8. He tried to tell them that um, in, in comparison to our God who breathes holy life into us, an idol, I mean, it's a dead nothing. This is what he's saying, having a, having a discussion here over food sacrifice to idol, I, idols. Uh, listen to what he says, um, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know there is no such thing as an idol in the world, that there's no God but one. What he's illustrating. You say, well, how could Paul say there's no idols, and yet in over 130 some times in the Bible the form of idolatry is used, in nearly half of the books it's mentioned specifically, and yet somehow shadowed in every book is a form of of, of idolatry or adultery or turning our backs on God. Why is it mentioned so often if Paul said it doesn't exist? He's saying that it do, they're dead. They're nothing. They're meaningless. We put them there. They destroy our lives. But other than that, they're things formed out of a tree in a field. That they're, they're a bunch of electronic gadgets put together. They're, uh, they're an addiction. They're a habit. They're a thought process that we grew up with that needs to be put down. Their opinions that need to be put down. Whatever they are, they rise up. They try to take the place of God. And all the while, it's killing us. It's killing us. I know I had, uh, I had one more. And then a few more after that. Um, what do we do with idols? Okay? You say smash them. Yeah, I like that mindset. It's hard to do. What is idolatry? Spiritual adultery. What is its aim? To seduce you. What is its potential? Oh, without you feeding it, it's nothing but dead. 
It has no voice. It has, it, it has nothing to offer. And uh, what, do you, what do you do with them? Well, I'd like to start off by showing you what not to do with idols. Fair enough? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Second Chronicles. Uh, Second Chronicles. 33. All right. Second Chronicles 33. Uh, this is uh, speaking of Manasseh. I'm just skimming through here, guys. I'm trying to give you little nuggets and so much. There's so much to study here. Too much. Keep on digging in it. The Lord lays it on your heart. Because smashing these things is what's going to change our life. It's what's going to heal brokenness. It's what's going to get us through the fog. It's what's going to uh, set us on a, on a path to be used by God in the utmost way. It's not just, um, you know, once every couple quarters, preach a message on idolatry. It's a daily fight, a daily battle. A daily battle saying, you know what? That's rising up in my mind. And right before I'm getting up to preach, I'm talking to Mike about business. I'm, and I told him, I was like, well, knock that one down. <laughs> Sneaks in. Yeah. I had work to do today. And the enemy's like, you know, that almighty dollar, yeah. You know, that's rich and poor. The rich want more and the poor want to know how they're going to get it. It can consume you. Where are we at? I'm sorry. What to do with them? Second Chronicles 33, Manasseh. I'm just skimming through here real quick. Verse 3, he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had tore down. Um, he worshipped the host of heaven and served them. Verse 4, he built altars in the house of the Lord. Um, verse number 6, he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hanon, and he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He put a carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God. Verse 10, the Lord spake to Manasseh and his people. And here is a but worth looking at. Listen to this, guys. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but... We can't make this mistake today. They pay no attention. The only thing that will keep us from smashing idols today is if we want to bury our head in the sand and not pay attention. God's saying, listen up. Nothing should take my rightful place in your life. I wish I had a mirror. I always say this. Z, listen up. Nothing should take my rightful place in your life. If it does, you're an idolater. I don't do miracles through idolaters. He spoke to Manasseh. He's speaking to us. He didn't pay attention. Therefore, here we go, guys. The Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against him. They captured Manasseh with hooks like an old pig hooks through his nose pulled him out bound him with bronze and chains took him to Babylon when he was in distress he entreated the Lord and his God he humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers and when he prayed to him he was, uh, he was moved by his entreaty he heard his supplication and he brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God you can read another account of that in uh, 2 Kings verse, in chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. There's another account right there of Manasseh. 2 Kings chapter 21. When, 
Uh, but we're not going to read that. I want to read what happens when his son, Amon, assumes the, the throne. Or however you say that. Amon was 22 years old. This is verse 19 of chapter 21. He became king and he reigned for two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was uh, Meshulamath, the daughter of Haraz and Jabath. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. And he walked all in the way that his father has done, served those idols, la-di-da-di-da. -da -da. He, he, he followed in the path. Are there going to be people who raise up in here and change their generation? Change what your fathers have done, what your father's fathers have done? Because it finally happens in number 22. Chapter 22, Josiah takes the throne. Verse 23. How many of you, let's skip ahead a little bit. How many of you like, would, would like to have this said of your life? And think about you as the, the, uh, in your family here. Not that you're going to be king of the world, but your family. Think about your family. Changing that shift. Shifting that generation uh, of, of what's important. Before him there was no king like him. Verse 25. Verse 25 of chapter 23. Before him there was no king like him. Who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. Sound a lot like Matthew 22, 36. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. And listen to this. Nor did any arise after him. Because he turned to him with all his heart. He would not tolerate those idols. Let's go listen to some of the verbs. I like these verbs. Y'all want to hear them? Yes. Amen. Josiah takes the throne. We'll start up there in verse 4, I guess. Host of heaven, it says, He burned them. All right, the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order of the doorkeepers to bring out the temple of the Lord, all the vessels that were made for Baal and Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes to Bethel. He did away with idolatrous priests. He, uh, skipping down to verse 6, he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem, took, the brook of, took it to the brook of Kidron and threw it in the water and let it flow down the river. No. The translation shouldn't say that. He burned it. He burned it. He didn't just quit there. He ground it into dust and he threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord. Verse 8. Then he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah. And he defiled the high places where the high priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. He broke down the high places which were in the city. Go to verse 11. Did away with the horses which the king of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan the official which was in the precincts and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Verse 12, the altars which were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah made and the altars of Manasseh had made into two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down. He smashed them there. He threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Going down to verse 14, he broke in pieces the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asherim and he filled the places with human bones. 15, the altar that was at Bethel in the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat which made Israel sin had 
uh, he had made even the altar of the high place, he broke it down. Listen to this. He demolished his stone, ground them in the dust, burned them up. 16, he burned them at the altar. 18, he said, um, um, this is talking about the bones of the other. Uh, verse 24, Josiah, he removed the mediums, the spirits, the teraphim, and the idols, and all the abominations that were in the land of Judah. Verse 25 is what? Before him, there's no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. Why? Because he was not afraid to smash idols. He wasn't afraid to smash idols. Even though generations before him had set a precedent, he wasn't afraid to stand up and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. No idol deserves the position that God deserves in my life. No idol deserves to hold that place. We have to smash them. We have to tear them down. You say, that's a, bit of, that's a bit extreme. Well, consider Matthew 5 and 29. What does it say if you got an eye that offends you? No, it says put a patch over it. Put a patch over it? What if you have an, a, fan, a hand that offends you? Put yourself in handcuffs. Cut it off. It's better to enter in one eye short and one hand short and two eyes short, two hands short, whatever, than to face the depths of hell, is it not? Yes. Get extreme with this. Because idolatry is an extreme danger. Why? Because Exodus 20. Hey, he says, hey, you don't have to turn there. You probably got it, uh, you know it by heart because it's the Ten Commandments. Uh, why, is it, why do we have to fight it with extreme fierceness? Because it's an extreme problem that, it, number one, really, really breaks the heart of God. And number two, it really, really angers Him. Let's not pacify that point. His wrath will come upon us if we place anything in the position that He's supposed to hold. I am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You don't think God sensed that it would be a problem? You don't think he sensed and knew that it would be a problem for the entire generation of mankind? Fighting it today just as hard as they fought it back then. Because it now is so sweet and so subtle. It's so sneaky. Around every, around every corner and in every store, something that tries to distract us from God. You know, to think that to think that I'd have a chance to sow into my kids' life at these precious years, and I'd spend and I'd spend um, I'd spend countless wasted hours surfing the internet for nothing, yeah. keeping up with who's doing what and who cares where, yeah. when I could be praying into the ear of my babies. Oh yes. Okay. This junk is garbage and it's dead stuff. It's me putting it there. Like that song we talked about, Mike, by the. Jason Upton guy. The greatest idol is who? Yeah? You and me. I'm trying to finish up here with something. Yeah, it's this. Just, I have trouble, uh, I have trouble finding those websites that do good polls. That have polls. So I, I take polls of my own when I go places. Live polls. <laughs> And I actually had it work one time. And it was one of the most powerful services I've ever been a part of. 
I won't do it today because I don't feel led to do that. But I feel led to share the info. And I feel it applied, perhaps. Some places it won't because uh, these were young people. And you guys are all young, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you. I just asked a, a, an audience of, of youth, is anybody in here an idolater? No way, man. We don't bow down to a, a temple. I say, give me eight volunteers, eight of you. I need an athlete, a Facebooker, a social networker. <coughs> I need somebody who works, which is, you know, I need a texter, a gamer, and a television junkie. I said, you're going to be honest? He said, yeah, we'll be honest. We'll be honest. I said, you're sure? <laughs> yes, we'll be honest. So we'll do a little poll. Because I can't find polls on websites. <laughs> okay? I just can't do it. All right. I asked him. I asked the athlete how much time you spend in athletics. Eight hours a week. Okay. I asked the Facebooker how much time you spend on Facebook. Three hours a day. I asked a social person how much time you spend socializing. 10 hours a day. I asked somebody who works how much time they commit to working. 6 hours a day. I asked a texter how much time they spend texting. 8 hours a day. I asked a gamer how much time they spend playing games on a TV screen, shooting fake bad guys. 3 hours a day. And I asked a television junkie. Well, I shouldn't say junkie, but a television Junkie. <laughs> um, how much time? Five to six hours a day. I said, man, that, you know, that's tough. I'm, i got to have some big numbers on this second round if we're going to come out of here uh, guiltless of idolatry. Let's talk about prayer, Bible reading in church. Very basic. We all in here know that idolatry goes way deeper than the things I mentioned. But we also know that a few of them I mentioned are probably one of the biggest plagues to hit our uh, civilization. Okay, so let's not be naive, but let's not think that I'm limiting it to this as well. Okay, y'all got my balance? Yeah. Prayer, just give them to me as we go down the road. 15, 2, 10, 20, and 30. These are minutes. Bible, 20, 0, 0, 3, 25 minutes. And church had an hour, an hour, a zero, a half hour, and two, four hours. Okay? Problem solved. Wow. There's idolatry in the camp. Yeah. Problem solved. Because I know we can't base it just on times and things like that, but it looks to me a lot like that's taking the place of God. Maybe I'm just judgmental. But it looks to me that that is taking the place of God. God, we can't fall guilty of this. We can't let it dominate us. It's why First John... He ends the entire book with this statement. Y'all want to memorize the scripture verse today? Raise your hand. You got one. 1 John 5.21 says this. Little children. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. 1 John 5.21. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols. They've got to be smashed. It doesn't work to polish it. It doesn't work to clean it up. If you got a phone that distracts you, it doesn't work to clean it up. You got a computer that distracts you. It doesn't work to clean it up. And God forbid we put our children in that position. Amen. Because they don't deserve it. Amen. They're innocent in it. Don't put them there. Our jobs. Oh, how heartbreaking to think that the God of the universe would be replaced by paper that is printed by man. Amen. 
by shiny metal that rides down the road. But by a little thing that we can open up and gossip with the entire world. Heaven forbid the man who delivered us from bondage would be replaced by such a thing as that. We can't stand for it, guys. We can't stand for it. We have to keep ourselves from idols. If we want to get it right, it's not an issue that we should play around with. We have to get it right. I'm just going to finish with this little statement I read. Anything that assumes his rightful position in our life at any given moment is an idol. Anything left in that position without being dealt with renders you and me guilty of idolatry, hence breaking a direct command of God. Our God is a jealous God. He will not stand for second place. Let's not put him there.